welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast, where we deep dive into the best matches in AEW history. Brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network and your host, Sam Brown. Yes, hello and welcome to the AEW Match Guide podcast. I'm your host, Sam Brown. Thank you for joining me. Every week, alongside a special guest, I take an in-depth look at one of the best matches in AEW history, taken from the definitive AEW match guide lists, as voted by wrestling commentators from around the internet wrestling community. If you enjoy the show today, you can subscribe and rate it on your podcast app of choice, support the podcast financially on Red Circle, and make sure you check out all of the other great shows on the Social Suplex Podcast Network, such as One Nation Radio, Keeping It Strong Style, All Things Elite, and the Grave Consequences podcast that cover all aspects of the world of pro wrestling. My guest for today is one of the original guests we've had on the show. He's a writer for Pro Wrestling Musings and a video creator at ELO Wrestling on YouTube. It's Gareth, and we're looking at the Hangman Adam Page versus Brian Danielson AEW World Championship match from Dynamite. Winter is coming on the 15th of December, 2021. How are you going today, Gareth? I'm very good, very excited to talk about this match. One, I've got very mixed feelings, or I had very mixed feelings about, and then as time's gone by, on a rewatch, as we've got more context, changed my mind about it, so we'll get into all of that. But yeah, a, a very, I find this a very interesting match to speak about. Yeah, this is a match that I loved a lot at the time, uh, and I'm I'm keen to I'm also very keen to speak about it because um, I do remember us disagreeing about it at the time um, mm-hmm. about elements of it. Uh, obviously, this isn't the first time you've been on the podcast, Gareth, uh, so I won't be asking you how you got into AEW again. Um, but I did mm-hmm. want to ask you when I came to you with the you know the list of I think there's like 80 matches or so you could <laughs> pick from at this point. Um, why did you pick this one? Um, well, partially because I have changed my mind on it, uh, or on the finish at least. I've, I always felt the match was great, but on the finish, uh, yeah, I, I've changed my mind on that. And I think there's a lot to delve into and speak about within this match. Also, Brian Danielson is my favourite wrestler of all time, and Hangman Adam Page is probably top three at this point. <laughs> so yeah. it's like two of my favourites battling it out um and it's one of my favorite AEW matches of all time so that's basically why i just love speaking about it yeah i think it's interesting and that yeah yeah look at the the feeling is mutual around the two wrestlers um like i mean brian danielson is the reason i got back into wrestling in 2014 uh Mm -hmm. when he was you know igniting the world the wrestling world with the yes movement and hangman page along with john moxley and kenny omega have really been like my fan anchors in AEW. Uh, mm. And I've I've loved the progression of Hangman Adam Page. I loved his title reign. So uh, if that doesn't give you a if for the listeners if it doesn't give you a, an idea of how glowing with praise me and Gareth might be during this episode, then uh, I don't know what will. Uh, we will have some fair and balanced conversation though, as we always do here on the AEW Match Guide podcast. But before we get into the match, um, and the first thing that we need to do is give the match its flowers. Papa Dave Meltzer. He gave this one five stars, five of the big ones. Cage match, currently rated as 9.52. And in the second volume of the definitive match guide, uh, this match came in fourth. So that was matches between 20, Double or Nothing 2021 
and double or nothing 2022, the third year of AEW. So this is a match that is held in very high regard critically. I do remember it being one that graced a lot of match of the year lists when uh, at the end of 2021 uh, and a few that few people that had to rejig their lists even because this one snuck in in late December when some people had already started putting theirs together. <laughs> we we will, of course, talk about the build to the match. Um, and but, but firstly, this is the first time as a podcast we have covered Brian Danielson. Um, of course, last week we covered CM Punk, who was probably the biggest announcement at uh, for AEW, one of the big one of the big uh, debutons or people that debuted at the start of this cycle of AEW. Uh, of course, he he came in in August and it was leaked around about the same time and he hinted at a lot and pretty much confirmed at one point by CM Punk um, <laughs> that Brian Danielson would be coming. He he of course showed up at the end of All Out, uh, coming out after Adam Cole had made his surprise debut. Um, to close off the pay-per-view and facing off with Kenny Omega. As you said, Brian Danielson is your favourite wrestler of all time. What's your history with him, I guess? When did you get into him? How long have you been following him for? Uh, and how did you feel about him joining AEW? So, Brian, I first got into him when he was in WWE. I was watching it when he came into the company, but I wasn't into other wrestling at that point. Uh, I'd occasionally throw on TNA because it was on this strange, uh, <laughs> strange channel here in the UK. And uh, sometimes I just came across it. I was like, oh, my God, another wrestling show. And I, then I found out what TNA was. Um, and I, I was aware of like other things by the by the time he came in and stuff. Um, but I'd never really gone out to, to check it out. Um, but I immediately kind of just gravitated towards him. It was on that dreadful NXT reality show. He was forced <laughs> to go through that. And like. For some reason, like I, I checked this, uh, checked that show out, and I was like, well, okay, what are they doing here then? Um, I gravitated to him and uh, Wade Barrett mainly, but I was really, really immediately hooked on. Good taste. Uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I was immediately hooked on uh, Daniel Bryan as he was there, and then obviously as he, as he grew, uh, he just became one of my favourites. Um, so much so, and then I, I went online, saw people speaking about him. So much so that I actually went out and watched. Some of those matches which people were raving about, which massively opened my eyes to what like other wrestling could be outside of WWE. So he was like, oh, and he wasn't the first outside of WWE I've watched because, like I said, I had like watched a bit of TNA and stuff. But he was the first time I actively went out of my way to watch something else, I think. Mm. Um, and yeah, and so I was just like, wow, this guy's amazing. And before you enough, get into, actually just before you get into him joining AEW. Uh, mm. I, it's interesting that you discovered him through NXT uh, and and were still captured by him because I remember at the time people thinking that, yeah. oh, they're trying to bury him, putting him on this show, but I thought it was brilliant um, the way they paired him with The Miz, who was just like such an obvious foil for him uh, and such an and, – and even, you know, emphasising – having The Miz emphasising how – uh, how much more experienced he is and, and you know, really talking up how Daniel Bryan was just inexperienced. And, of course, you know, that's, you know, waving red flags at the internet wrestling community who have been following this guy, uh, you know, as a pillar of the indies in America in the in the mid – in the through the noughties. Um, you know, it's like waving a red flag at him. But it was br- a brilliant way to introduce him um, by putting him with someone who was his complete opposite and who he could so obviously – and clearly um, build a, a great feud with early on. 
Yeah, absolutely. And um, I think that was the main thing because I hated the Miz. I absolutely hated him. And so having this guy come in and uh, <laughs> immediately he's kind of up against him. And I like obviously a lot of people felt that like he was being buried or whatever. I just felt like the one thing that's probably maybe that is what they were trying to do. Maybe they were just like, oh, this guy will be a nice little mid carder. And, you know, it's a little shot of the Internet community or whatever. But um, for me, like he's just so good at playing the underdog role that mm. I don't think you could. He's a talent I don't think you can squash because unless you just have him go out there and lose in like two seconds every time or whatever. But as, as long as you give him the time and the platform, I think he's someone who's always going to succeed. And that's why I'd always put him on my Mount Rushmore. I'd always say he's one of like the greatest of all time. Uh, he's my favourite, but he's, I think, objectively, he's one of the greatest of all time for that reason. Like, I, And that just, I don't know, the fact that I was gravitated towards him in that period just kind of proves that. And then obviously, mm. as he, he kind of forced his way into being a, a major star within WWE, mm. as the years progressed, they did give him opportunities to an extent, but then they also would be like, OK, we're giving you that, now we're going to take it away, and did that. Yeah. And eventually yep. they realised what they had with him, and it was like, OK... And unfortunately, he had his injury, but then he came back and he was kind of just one of the major players, as he should have been pretty much all, all along. But yeah, no, just just absolutely love him, basically. Mm, absolutely. Yeah. I. It's funny. I first came across Brian Danielson. Uh, it, the first time I heard of him, uh, it's, it's kind of funny. Uh, it was in like 2009. Um, mm. Matt Hardy oh. had turned heel and was doing the elbows, um, yeah. you know, like how, how Brian locks them in and then rains the elbows down, and he yeah. did that. And I remember, like, someone saying, oh, he stole that from from Brian Danielson. And he, like, <laughs> you know, like, posting a link to a vid- to a YouTube video with, you know, heavy metal music and Brian Danielson's top 25 moves or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah. And, uh, and that's the first time I ever heard of Brian Danielson. Then, of course, he came to NXT and – I kind of bowed out of wrestling around that. But as I said, he he was the person that, you know, very much brought me back into wrestling. Um, the idea of him, you know, winning the championship at WrestleMania seemed really exciting to me because I, you know, I hadn't been watching wrestling. And I was like, oh, wow, I, I didn't think this guy would get so far. And, you know, he was kind of a guy that I was really hoping would do well. Uh, and, yeah, mm. the, I mean, we could go on and on about his career for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> forever. That's a podcast in itself. But uh, I guess the the second part of my question was, um, how did you feel about him joining AEW? And I guess his initial presentation in the company as well. Yeah, I mean, obviously it was my dream move because he's my favorite wrestler of all time. And I ne- it was one I didn't think would happen. I thought, you know, he would, you know, see out his days in WWE and because of like because of his injury problems and stuff like that, I thought, you know, and he's got his family and stuff like that. And the fact that uh, John Laurinaitis is uh, married to Brie Bella's mother, um, which doesn't necessarily mean anything, but it's just another thing kind of tying him into WWE. Yeah. I was just like, OK, he seems like he's, he's a lifer now. And I was just like, well, at least that means whenever I do occasionally put on a WWE pay-per-view, hopefully I'll have a good match. And, you know, mm. or he will have a good match. And I'll enjoy it. And hopefully, uh, you know, he can impart his wisdom onto some of the others and stuff like that. He was starting to get a bit of backstage influence and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, mm. I was I was just hopeful. That was basically my dream for, for Brian at that point. I didn't think it was realistic that he would come to AEW. But luckily, he got that itch to do that, you know, the 
more pro wrestling rather than the sports entertainment side of things um mm. and uh as people say and he did decide to to join which i was really really happy about as soon as he had that match with roman reigns it was like okay he's leaving and i'm fairly sure he's coming so i had like a lot of time to get very excited about it and then his initial um presentation i liked because like i remember a lot of people were like complaining like oh, he's not really doing anything he's not really like uh like you know he's not the, the character work and all that and really uh brian's at his best when he's just a bit of a normal bloke who likes wrestling and i like that he was you know just a face off with kenny omega they obviously had a couple of physical uh exchanges as well uh exchanged a few words and then they had that match which is also one of my favorite aw matches of all time um and that was that was so fantastic and then obviously he just has great match after great match with Suzuki mm. and Eddie Kingston and then through that tournament as well one with Dustin Rhodes was it yep um and then obviously the final against Miro where he wins um which I think was supposed to be Moxley wasn't it but you know uh we know what we suspect there, so. we suspect <laughs> yeah yeah um and yeah then he's here against Hangman mm. Adam Page and I was like this is ideal. I didn't ever think he was going to win the title necessarily, but mm. I was like, this is ideal. Like this is exactly how he should be brought in. He's a top guy, especially because he had CM Punk kind of refinding himself mm. with Brian Danielson. He'd just come off fighting the best in WWE. Obviously he had a few months off, but it wasn't like he'd had seven years off like mm. CM Punk. They were already doing that story with another kind of guy in a similar kind of position, I guess, to Danielson. So it would have been silly to do that. So to bring him in, and especially with that bringing in those more heel antics, I just I just call it Dickhead Danielson because yep. <laughs> because because it because it sounds nice, but also it's just like he has that thing to him. He doesn't even even when he's a babyface sometimes he can he can do that. He can give it back to the heels, but mm. then as a heel he's so fantastic as well. And it was such a nice way to then transition him from that Kenny Omega match um, in where he was still he still had that attitude like I said, but he was doing mm. it towards a heel. But then he started doing it to the likes of, you know, um, uh, Dustin Rhodes, obviously. And then obviously the Dark Order as well. And Eddie, Eddie so, Kingston. Yeah, exactly. Of course. Um, so when you got to the point then when it was Hangman, it was like, OK, I, I love you. <laughs> I really want you to. I really want <laughs> Hangman to beat him because it's just like, yeah, it's just the, the way of the storytelling, I guess. Yeah, it, it was interesting how there was almost like a you kind of knew he was going to come, but you, you still weren't sure. And there's mm. just that little bit of uncertainty. And I, I just remember thinking at the time, this is before he debuted it all out. Um, mm. I just remember being almost fed up with him, like kind of talking about how he would <laughs> like to, um, yeah. because I remember, you know, around it was 2018 when he came back, his contract was actually up and he could have gone out then. And I remember mm. him talking about, Oh, you know, I'd love to wrestle people like Kazuchika Okada, Zack Sabre Jr., listing off like these people. It's like, well, you can't do it if you're in the WWE. Like, you know how to do this. You can do this if you want. And then the second time it all came around, you know, last year in 2021, I I think at one point I was like, if he doesn't do it this time, I just want him to shut up about it because he's had a chance. And, you know, it's not his fault because the reporters are just asking him questions and he's just answering them. Yeah. Of course, I'd love yeah. to, you know, wrestle Zack Sabre Jr. and, you know, talk, you know, maybe we can have a, a, 
a fight off to see who's the best technical wrestler or, you know, because Ichiko Carter's people are saying he's the greatest wrestler in the world at the moment. I think I am like, of course, that's, you know, he's just answering questions. But at the same time, yeah. it's like, you don't understand what you're doing to me, Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think uh, that second time, I think that second time he did because he knew his contract was up. And yeah, like, yeah. I think then it was it was very much more. I remember people doing uh, like getting really upset by that. But as soon as it was like announced that his contract was up, yeah. and it was like okay, you've suddenly started talking about it wasn't like because he hadn't been doing he had done it before, but it was not like he had yeah. been doing it like all the time recently. And then he did like three or four interviews where he did it, and it was like okay, you've probably told them to say something. Like, oh, I can get you some good clips here, and then we can yeah. get people excited. Like, and then, yeah, and then as soon as, like, uh, I think it was Fightful who broke that his um, contract was up, I was just like, oh, thank you. We're actually going to no, get it. Cassidy, uh, Cassidy Haynes was the one that, was oh, it? you're talking okay. about the you're talking about the contract breaking. I'm thinking that Cassidy Haynes was the one that announced that he had, he was going to be signed and show up in AEW. Oh, yeah, no, yeah, um, I he was the one that leaked that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I, I, I loved that he debuted at all out and like immediately i don't know who did this he i don't think daniel bryan controls his own twitter um <laughs> but he his bio just changed and all it said afterwards was professional wrestler and i was just yeah. like oh yeah we're about to get some fun we're about to get something special here you could because yeah. he's just he's doing it literally because he wants to um mm. you know he he could have been a WWE lifer. They were giving him backstage power they wanted him to stay you know they even tried to work out how he could do these things with new japan but still be wrestling for wwe and obviously it didn't come about but that just showed the fact that they tried to do this for for daniel bryan shows Mm. how much they wanted him uh but he just wanted to he wanted to do his own thing and he wanted to you know relive the sort of experiences that he'd had and have the kind of matches that he'd got to have before um before Mm. he joined the wwe and he knew he couldn't do it there and of course showed up in aw i i was a I loved how straightforward it was with him. Um, yeah. You're right about like how they didn't need to dress it up in a grander story as they did with CM Punk and as they kind of progressed mm. CM Punk in and he like slowly waded deeper and deeper into AEW pool with Daniel Bryan. It was like, no, nah, first match is against Kenny Omega in the biggest <laughs> event we've ever had. And like in many ways that match, and I'll, I'll probably podcast about that match at some point, but that match is almost like stands as a, I feel almost like the crest of AEW's, the surge in AEW popularity at that point, you know, off the back of the debuts of Punk and Brian and Adam Cole and before that Malachi and Andrade. And it just felt like the company had so much momentum um, Mm. coming into, coming back from crowds and into that all out period into spring. But then, yeah, yeah, the, of course, moved into this feud after, after full gear, um, where he, you know, he was fighting in that championship tournament, the championship contenders tournament after he'd been, after he drew with Kenny Omega, which, you know, it makes perfect sense that he was granted a non-title shot because he hadn't won anything uh, and manages to fight Kenny Omega to a a draw. What's the next thing he's going to do? He's going to try and get back there so he can have a championship match. But of Mm. course, the championship changed at full gear. Um, The champion changed at full gear and Hangman won from Kenny Omega and Brian Danielson, his eyes became set on Hangman Page and they entered into their little program. And it was a pretty straightforward program, but it did have a, a number of nice little tweaks to it. Um, after the number one t- tournament, uh, the number one contenders tournament was complete, of course, um, where he would fight 
a member of the dark order each week but they smartly um and and this had to be some there had to be some sort of intention behind this but each week were at a different place where there was a dark order hometown so um yeah. there was colt cabana in in uh chicago and john silver in long island um, so it really got to play up just how hot and how driven mm. Brian Danielson was and how borderline, how aggressive he was getting. Like, I just remember, you know, he kicked Colt Cabana's head in and kicked a tooth out. And he was just like, he was almost like a little kid with a lolly waiting for the camera <laughs> to come back on. Cause I watch fight where you can, uh, you know, see the picture in picture. And he's like sitting there, like cradling it. Like he's Gollum <laughs> with the one ring being like, you won't believe what I've got here. <laughs> and then when the camera comes on, he's just like in the camera showing this tooth off that he's kicked out of Colt Cabana's head. Uh, and you know, he's not, he's not like super disrespectful. Like he's not disrespectful in the way an MJF would be. But yeah. he is disrespectful in his utter confidence um, in yeah. just the fact that he carried himself through that. He went through, you know, he went through the dark order like they were nothing, the knife through butter. Uh, and yeah. he carried himself in front of Hangman like he did not think that Hangman could beat him. I think I think that, that was that was exactly the perfect route to take because Hangman being this character who's constantly self-doubting himself. Um, he's just won the championship and then he goes, okay, who's my first challenger? And it's the guy who took Kenny Omega to a draw. So he's arguably better. And, you know, if anything, he was the one looking like he was going to win. Um, so arguably he's better than Kenny Omega. Um, who's just, you know, got on a tear through all the, you know, a lot of the best wrestlers in AW and then just beating the the crap out of all of his mates. It's just like. It's the perfect. It's a perfect challenger. You've got the um, the side of Hangman, which is going to be doubtful of himself because of okay, I thought Kenny Omega was the greatest challenger I'd face, and now I'm facing someone who's arguably better than him. And then you've also got the personal uh, side of it, where it's like he's just beating the crap out of all my all of my mates as well. So it's the perfect route mm-hmm. to go. Like, um, and it, I think there could have been a risk if they'd just done like, oh, kind, kind of relatively respectful Danielson who just comes in and goes look I like you hangman but I know I'm better than you you could run the risk then of people being like I want Danielson to win because they like Danielson and uh, you know or you run the risk of a mixed crowd and what you got there were still people chanting for Danielson because it's Danielson but mm. what you got was like very much heel versus babyface dynamic without yep. um, Danielson even though he obviously he comes out the heel tunnel and stuff like that but like it wasn't like there was this massive turn or anything like that. It was just a natural progression into him. Like you said, he's just very, very confident, overconfident, but it's not overconfident because he arguably is the best. <laughs> he's Brian so, Danielson, yeah. Like I say, it's just Dickhead Danielson. That's just that's mm. the best way to describe it. Yeah, yeah. And you've, it's it's interesting to think of it from Hangman's perspective as well. Like he spent, you know, two years dwelling on Kenny Omega uh, and his fail and you know, Hangman's failure to win the AEW championship. Uh, and yeah, as you said, all of a sudden he's got to face someone who was arguably about to beat Kenny Omega <laughs> uh, and, and suddenly has to reorient himself. Uh, and of course there's, you know, the age old adage about the championship being able to much easier to win than defend. Uh, mm. And, you know, he's got putting a lot of personal pressure on himself to live up to his idea of what a champion should be. 
uh, going into this match against such a formidable force. Uh, I, I don't have a whole lot more to say about the build. Uh, is there anything more you'd like to say about that before we get into the actual match itself? Only just quickly that um, a lot of people were kind of worried or complaining or criticizing that Hangman was a bit quiet in all of that build, which he was. Like, um, mm. I think, Yeah, that's a fair point. I think uh, a lot of people wanted him to have like, a, you know, a, a, a match even if it wasn't an actual defense or whatever and I think Danielson was his first match after winning the title which was yep. it was quite a few weeks after full gear when he won it I think people wanted him to be a bit more of a champion and then uh Danielson all of that thing to come come about and there's probably some truth in that um but generally speaking I, I liked the story that they told I just think like yeah, perhaps you could have just done a little bit more with him to make it feel like, mm. oh, OK, he is. Whilst Danielson's here and he's great, Hangman is still the champion, even if he himself is having those doubts and all that. Um, you know, you can still show us. No, he is. He is the guy uh, which I mean, this match and, you know, the next match as well kind of existed to kind of do. But mm. you could have had that in, in the build as well. But yeah, it, it is what it is. Ultimately, I don't think it ultimately affected the match or hangman's reign too much no no i don't think so either but let's get into the match itself of course it took place on december 15th at dynamite winter is coming second year in a row they've had an aw world heavyweight championship match at winter is coming of course kenny omega beat john moxley in the aw championship match at the first winter is coming uh, and at this one it was set up for Hangman Page versus Daniel Bryan. Uh, sorry, Brian Danielson. I'm probably going to do that a little bit just out of <laughs> force of habit. Uh, and Danielson was out first, um, gets a big ovation. Um, quick question. Daniel Bryan, Brian Danielson has had some, you know, memorable themes over the years. Final Countdown, Ride of the Valkyries. Uh, what do you think of his AEW theme? I quite like it because obviously it's got that um... – that touch to Flight of the Valkyries in the kind of remixed version. But then you've also got the clapping and obviously the chant that goes along with that kind of built into the song, which I liked as well. That was It was kind of a nice little mix of what he had in WWE and then what he had in Ring of Honor before that as well. So I quite liked it. I thought it was quite uh, inventive. Um, I think, you know, a lot of people, you know, they've obviously got, they've obviously got their favourites. Because I didn't grow up with... Uh, uh, well, I, I'd obviously seen it, but I didn't grow up with it. Like the WWE Brian is what I kind of grew to know more than anything else. Mm. So I wasn't too desperate for that personally. So I can understand why someone who was like a huge fan at the time loved that. Maybe would have wanted that. But for me, it was just it was a nice mix of the two. He had the, you know, paying homage to that old to the Ring of Honor time and pay, paying homage to the time in WWE as well. So yeah, yeah, I'm, I I quite like it. It gets me pumped every time. Yep. I kind of like it. It felt fresh, you know, like mm. it, it had a nod to the past, but it felt fresh, you know. Yeah. Him, Final Countdown is like classic rock and, you know, by all accounts, ludicrously expensive to use as well, which is probably another yeah. reason they never, they haven't even used it since. Uh, and then, of course, Flight of the Valkyries is is incredible uh, and was mm. so well done in and, and went so well with the, like the yes chant. I just cannot... I'll never forget that moment with the cage match with Bray Wyatt or, of course, WrestleMania yeah. 30, um, where the the song worked so well as a backdrop to the the crowd just going berserk. 
Yeah. And I, I love that this has a nod to that, but also has like this fresh uh, feeling to it. And the hip hop beat, I feel like it's got mm. swagger to it. Uh, mm. And and it fits how confident Brian Danielson is in in AEW uh, and sort yeah. of the fighter vibe that he has. Like you, this this does have like a bit of fight music to it feel. Uh, yeah. You know, with nods to the past, as you said. Hangman comes out in cow print. I, I love this gear for Hangman. He's always got great gear, but I, I particularly like yeah. this gear. He gets a massive ovation. Like it's it's easy to forget how completely ballistic over he was uh, as champion and the crowd were absolutely loving him uh, at this point of course from the get-go um as they get in the ring danielson just looks so damn sure of himself <laughs> i'm just sitting you know he's got like it's not quite a smirk on his face but just yeah. this look of complete enough utter confidence um you know I wish at some point in my life I was good enough at something that I could feel this way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I loved, like I said, the, it's just the whole, this is my favourite version of, of Brian Danielson when he when he has that to him because it's it's so simple, but it is just like so effective. It's that mm. old cliche. And again, Dickhead Danielson, uh, he, he had these moments early in the match where he was just like, just trying to get in hangman's head basically mm. um and it's those little things that he does that like he knows he can out wrestle you but he's just like mm. doing this for the sake of it as well which is yeah. also part of a game plan as well for sure mm. which is part of why you know he's so great and, and all that but like it's also like he knows he could just like beat you up he could go straight you know he's got the talent to just mm. do a really good match but he adds that character on top of it yep. as well and it's funny like when people say like oh you know Brian Danielson doesn't have much character because he's not necessarily so overt with like crazy things or whatever, um, crazy gimmicks. But like it, the character work that he does, it's just so like it's simple but effective, like I said. And it's just <laughs> you hear the crowds early, early in the match, especially throughout the match, but early in the match, especially um, just getting into it, getting all the booze. Like I said, he gets an ovation at the start because people love him. But when he actually gets into the match, people are saying, oh, come on, man. <laughs> you're better than this but he does those little yeah. things it's just it works so yeah. well and and for hangman's part he doesn't back down one bit um yeah for, for all we said about him he is riding high on you know the biggest win of his career and he's ready to go like he's yeah. it, it's really intense from the start the opening lockup is just so physical they're jockeying mm. back and forth it looks like a real struggle uh and yeah. like they're really putting force into it Hangman eventually backs Danielson up into the corner, uh, and in response, Danielson like slaps Hangman on the chest as they go for the break. <laughs> and then when Hangman swings in retaliation, Danielson like ducks, ducks under, yeah. and just like gives a little finger wag, and then does yeah. star jumps in the opposite corner. That's like the opening part, and it, it it's incredible how quickly they set up the outline to how this match is going to go. You know, it's mm. really even, super physical. Hangman's got like a little bit of an edge in the athletic and, and maybe strength department, but Brian yeah. like is is tactically a little bit ahead of the game. He's a bit bit of a veteran and he's just not shy about displaying it. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, I like that you mentioned that uh, Hangman doesn't back down because there's I don't know how big of a narrative this is, but I've seen it a lot online. Um, and people saying like, oh, Danielson kind of controlled the start and then Hangman fought his way back in. 
That wasn't the case. The first 10 minutes, Hangman, I going on Pro Wrestling Musings stats, I'm sure you'll get more of that when you get Craig on for the, for the, <laughs> for the second match. <laughs> yeah. Um, but like, I, I, was, I was looking over those, as I always do, uh, coming into this, just to get a better idea and a visualization of exactly what went down in very simple form. Uh, Hangman has the more offense for the first 10 minutes, every single minute, I think, bar one. Um, and that just shows like he's not backing down. And Danielson is using these mind games kind of to get around mm-hmm. Hangman's because perhaps if you want to microanalyze on the character, perhaps Brian actually knows how good Hangman is and not necessarily worried because obviously he has the confidence, but he's smart enough to know I need to be I need to be smart here and I need to get in his head and stuff. And maybe because he knows Hangman isn't the strongest mentally. But again, this is all like kind of microanalyzing things. I know this goes over most people's heads when they're just watching it's like yeah fighting but there is that nuance with both of these guys they bring they bring that level of thinking into it Mm. so those first 10 minutes really are like uh hangman doing more of the actual wrestling and danielson Mm. kind of finding his way out of it wagging his finger like you said he does this thing where he offers a handshake and then like and like that's like quite a few minutes in and hangman's like come on man i'm not shaking your hand after yeah what even do and that's, <laughs> just that's like, after and he's that, like it's after he's like done a few times where he's retreated out to the ropes and it's kind of laughing yeah, yeah. taunting hangman yeah. for it so yeah it's it's funny how like you know his biggest and most well-known program of course is the yes movement and that'll probably never change like that was ginormous yeah. but you know that's this underdog champion fighting the man but you know, like he's great. I reckon his greatest performances are as this kind of heel. You know, I think Kofi mm. Mania was probably the his yeah. best performance in the WWE, and this, of course, on the on the Indies back in the day, that was very much what he was. You know, like not only is he incredibly skilled and tough, but he like revels in displaying that skill and winding up his opponent with it, um, yeah. which is what he kind of does to Hangman early on. Yeah, exactly. Like I said, I've said it a couple of times, but yeah. Dickhead Danielson, just yeah. my favourite. He's my favourite <laughs> version of him. And absolutely, that Kofi Mania, I've always said, like that's the greatest that's the greatest performance he had in WWE in terms of like laying out a match. Because Kofi's great, but he's not like good enough to have a match like that with anyone else, I don't think, if you know what I mean. Well, he never has before and he hasn't since, so... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, and... It's also interesting, you know, talking about this character of Danielson, because um, as you said, like people do say he, he doesn't have much character, but mm. or he's vanilla, or you know, I, I feel like yeah. most people, particularly people who listen to this, don't don't give that any credence. But most, you know, reasonable people forgot that in you know 2012. But yeah. it, it has been something that comes up every now and again. But even you know beyond, as we're saying, like this cocksure, super confident guy. When Hangman does start to get a bit of offense in, Danielson even starts to crack. Like there's this mm. moment where it's Hangman's first bit of big offense. He gets a big boot to the chest of Danielson, uh, and yeah. he like really rocks Danielson. But you can see Danielson firstly get hurt, but then like get a bit pissed off about it as well. Yeah, uh, and you can see like the cracks in his persona showing through that. Yeah, no, like he's like I I, I have this thing like in wrestling the best characters are always very petty. I think Eddie Kingston's incredibly petty. Uh, CM Punk's incredibly petty. MGF, like, all the best ones in AEW. And Brian Danielson's the exact same. Like, it's these little things like that. It's, 
that boot, for example, might actually hurt him more than, you know, something someone else does, which is you'd think is worse. Like in the mind of Daniel Bryan's character, or Bryan Danielson's character, sorry. Uh, those are the kind of things where I imagine piss him off more than like, you know, if he were to get get outdone by someone he respects or whatever. Not that he doesn't respect Hangman, but it's just like this is kind of a match where Hangman's earning his respect, mm. if you know what I mean. And yeah. that's a moment where I guess he gains a bit of it. I think since you brought it up, because this was something I wanted to to talk about, is do you think Daniel uh, Brian Danielson respects Hangman? Because in my mind, I feel like, you know, he goes into this thinking that he's going to win. And I think mm. part of that is that he doesn't think that Hangman is actually better than Kenny Omega. Like he thinks yeah. I had I had Kenny Omega beaten, so I can definitely take care of Hangman. Yeah, I mean he says as much in the build to the match. He says something like, <laughs> "I'm really I'm really disappointed you won because I was really looking forward to get being able to like prove that I can beat Kenny Omega." Um, but now I guess I just have to beat you and hopefully I can have a rematch with him. <laughs> and yeah. Like, yeah, so there definitely is an aspect to him overlooking Hangman to an extent. Obviously, I think, like, again, if you're going to microanalyze a, a wrestler's experiences, Brian Danielson, and uh, as great as him, isn't going to overlook anyone necessarily. But there's a level of confidence you have to have. If you look at great fighters, they don't. The reason why they're great is because they are humble to an extent and they they don't overlook people. If you look at, like, Floyd Mayweather, he had that cocky persona, but ultimately he boxed very defensively uh whenever he came up against anyone great especially in his and later worked years incredibly hard too yeah exactly so he knew he had to do that in order in order to get the win and like you can still think i'm better than you but still have the respect for someone so that's kind of like the mentality i'd say probably danielson comes into although i don't think that's not even a, probably a, danielson probably wouldn't even see that as a slight on hangman because in his head he's better than everyone <laughs> Yeah. So, yeah. So, like, it's it's just like, okay, you're you're maybe you're number two. I don't think you are because I'd say Kenny Omega, but maybe you're number two. That's kind of what he's thinking. That's how I imagine what he's thinking anyway. Yeah. Uh, Of course, we did say, you know, the story for this match uh, is, uh, you know, at least for the first half or so, uh, is that Danielson has that tactical edge while Hangman has that athletic edge, and that over time, as you said, this is it's more even than what you remember. Um, yeah. And what you remember it being, particularly in the first 15, 20 minutes. But over time, that tactical edge does start to gain Danielson's significant advantage. He's, you know, working on Hangman's legs and particularly um, his right arm to try and neutralize the buckshot, which is a, a thread that would continually crop up throughout all of Hangman's matches, actually, um, yeah. as champion, where people would work to stop the buckshot because it's such a devastating move. And there'd be all sorts of different ways that heels would or his opponents would try and stop that. Um, of course, you know, later on, Lance Archer would cut the rent, cut the top rope. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you'd see, you know, Adam Cole do different things as well. Uh, and, and as I said, like doing that, the intention sort of starts to ratchet up and up and up. Danielson takes more and more control. Um, And they did structure this match really well uh, in terms of how it just slowly starts to build, uh, build and build in tension, build and build in the level of physicality and the amount that they're selling. But my question is for you, Gareth, when did you realize that we're potentially going for an hour? Um, Because I remember, you know, like, Obviously, this is not going to go for, you know, less than 20 minutes. It hits 20 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, they still haven't even really wrestled outside. 
yet. Yeah. When when did it twig to you that we we might be going the distance? Um, a part of me felt this was going to go very long anyway, not necessarily to an hour's draw. A lot of people, well, some people had predicted that this was going to go to a draw. And I remember saying like, oh, no, 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 they won't do that. <laughs> um, and but yeah, but I, I, I figured it was going to go long anyway. So in those early exchanges when it's like, OK, it looks like they're going to go long here. I wasn't too surprised because I thought, OK, I was expecting like 40 minutes, maybe 50 anyway. And, you know, maybe maybe they start using the the idea of the um, of the of the draw as a thing for, you know, to, to heighten the drama before Hangman gets the win. And they almost did that. We'll get to that later, though. But they almost did that. Um, but, yeah, obviously, because you had the 30 minute draw with um, with Omega, it was something that I think was on people's minds. And that's mm. maybe another thing that's maybe a uh, uh, a good thing with with the draw with the maker is it kind of brings out okay they are willing to do this in a big match mm. um uh, and it gives you that possibility but i'd say for me uh, there was a while where like danielson had like dominated for a little bit then it was like those so obviously like i said before hangman kind of had those first 10 minutes and then in the next 10 minutes 10 to 20 brian gets a lot more uh, page does get a bit of offense and he he has a couple of minutes where he has more mm. but mostly it's Brian and he's having much more devastating impact over those 10 minutes and then after that we get to like the 20 to 30 kind of mark where it's the actual amount of wrestling goes down as you start to see Mm. more and more like I guess a bit of fatigue obviously not too much because they get they get their second wind I guess but you see like the fatigue starting to set in just about and then there's that moment where Hangman uh, goes to the buckshot and Danielson rolls away. And uh, and that was when I was like, okay, we've still got quite a long way to go here. Mm. And there, are, there aren't really many massive spots in this match. Um, and there hadn't been up until this moment. And then Hangman goes for a moonsault uh, to the outside or he's setting up for it. And Danielson pushes him off the top rope and he like falls onto the ring apron. And that was when I was like, and then like goes towards the arm again, as as you were saying. Hmm. And that's when I was like, okay, okay, uh, we're probably in for like, I knew we were anyway, but we're probably in for a long run. This might be hmm. going like all the way because that was already around somewhere close to the half an hour mark. Hmm. Um, and yeah, and I guess I, that felt like I didn't know this consciously watching it the first time, but watching it the second time, knowing the story that was coming. This felt like your typical midpoint in a story where, you know, the hero kind of gets a bit desperate, goes for something big and it just fails. And that's when Brian really takes over, mm. um, really starts going in on the arm after that. And obviously he's had a he's failed to hit his big shot and mm. then he's had a massive fall as well. So yeah, that's probably the moment I was like the first time I was probably like, OK, maybe this will go to a draw, because like I said, I didn't think it was going to, but it had been mm. mentioned on uh, on Twitter beforehand yeah. by a couple of people I follow. And I was like, I didn't think. But then it was around that point. I remember thinking maybe, but I still didn't think until it actually happened that it was going to happen. Yep. Uh, yeah. Like, it's interesting. I, I was tracking different parts of the match just because on my rewatch, because I knew it was going to go for an hour. Um, mm. And it's actually not uh, not until after 10 minutes the match has been going 10 minutes before it first spills out 
to the outside and they immediately yeah. get back in the ring. Uh, and then it's actually like at 20 minutes where they first brawl around on the outside. And, you know, yeah. like most AEW matches don't take that long to brawl on the yeah, outside. Yeah. The most, most of them are finished by then. So, you know, when it yeah. comes to the kickoff dynamite match. Um, so, you know, it was very obvious that this was going to go long. Mm. And I do like how, you know, after 20 minutes, things do like, turn grittier it's not yeah. as polished like they're both of them their hair's starting to get a bit frazzled and out of place um yeah. they're looking a little bit more worn down they're selling the fatigue um for me the match really hit another level you said when that moonsault thing happened for me yeah. it really hit another level when they when danielson pulled in this is about the half hour mark or so um, mm. Danielson pulled Hangman into the post, did the the spot that he did yeah. with Nigel McGuinness in Ring of Honor. Like after, that's just that, after what I was saying with the yeah. moonsault and the push. Yeah. And then he starts really going in on that arm after that. Yeah. And that's but where you get you into know, the next phase of the match. But I think particularly because of that, like the history that that had, um, yeah. him him doing that to Nigel McGuinness and giving Nigel McGuinness like the concussion that would ultimately end his career. I was just yeah. like, oh, my God, they're going there. And the way yeah. Hangman sold it was phenomenal. Like, when I was watching this, I genuinely thought he had somehow concussed himself from the yeah. way that he was on the outside. They were, like, giving him water. And, of course, I'm watching on fight, so I don't know that they're in an ad break. So they're kind of, like, probably, you know, inside the match from them, they're, like, using this as a moment to catch their breath because they know yeah. they're in for a long, so, a long one. And they're sort of... Yeah taking a moment for themselves but i'm watching it seeing like a doctor checking on hangman they're giving him water i've never <laughs> seen them giving someone water in a match before and i'm like yeah. he's concussed himself and they're working out how they can get out of this yeah <laughs> and and when they came out of that oh that's when i was like oh are we gonna go like is this gonna go for 60 minutes because as hangman sort of fires up out of that like he was selling that so well it looked so bad yeah that was that was sort of a trigger point for me where I thought like, oh maybe this will go for like sixty minutes because it had been a little bit on my mind as well. I I too dismissed that. I was like, oh, you know maybe there's like a two percent yeah. chance they do that. Yeah. Um, you know, well, like, it, it is something that AEW set up quite well. Yeah. You know, a few back in the first season, I, I talked about to I talked about the Cody and Darby Allen feud and how one of the things they did early on was they used that to set up the idea that there could be a draw. Uh, and it's yeah. almost like AEW used that match to show the viewers, like you need to pay attention to time limits um, and that time mm -hmm. limits can become a factor. And then when dynamite kicked off Moxley and pack actually had a um, TV time draw where yeah. dynamite ran over. Uh, and so they like use that early to set up the fact that you can have draws. And then of course it starts to pay off with Omega Danielson. And then of course this match mm. where you start to think, Oh, this is something that could actually happen. Yeah, exactly. And like you said about that big spot uh, where, where, where he does the, the thing with the ring post and then uh, hangman's on the outside, taking a break. Brian's on in the ring doing his jumping jacks, just yep. playing to the crowd and stuff like that. There's a very similar thing that, uh, Kenny and uh, Danielson did in their match where obviously uh, Danielson takes the, the uh, snapdragon suplex on the ramp Kenny beats him up a bit and then goes on the inside patting himself on the back very similar I found that really funny mm. how like 
just a couple of weeks, or a few weeks before that, maybe a couple of months, whatever, um, before that, like Danielson was on the other side of that, and now mm. he's doing it to hang on, which I just found was a nice little thing. But I remember thinking at the time, yeah, it was, it was around mm. around that kind of period where I was like, um, yeah, like I said, that felt mm. like a midpoint in a story. The fact they had already done that at not quite the mid middle of that match, but you know, more or less the middle, that was where the match kind of changed and took a new turn uh, in mm. uh, Brian and. Uh, uh, Brian and Omega's match so yeah when you had that whole sequence it, like you said around that half an hour mark I was like yeah okay that's when I was I went from this is going to be uh like maybe 40 minutes to this is going late 50s if you if you mm. want um, yeah but yeah no exactly uh basically echo everything you said but um yeah those and I- Brian Brian really likes doing that thing with the uh, the concussions, especially now he's you know he's obviously had his issues. Um, he loves to like tease it. He did it in the Omega match. He did it in this, and he's done it since as well. And it's just like it, it works me every time as well because every time he goes into the ring, I am worried. I, I don't want this to be the last time I ever see him wrestle. <laughs> um, <laughs> so it, it's always going to get me, I think, even though he's he's done it quite a few times now. Hmm. Yeah, it's interesting how when this all happens, though, like, and it speaks to Danielson's character and his confidence that he doesn't immediately capitalize on it. Like, he's got Hangman on the outside, like, dead to rights almost. He could have his way with him, but he doesn't. Like, he goes back in and he just, it's just like he wants to drive home the point of his superiority by doing those jumping jacks rather than attacking Hangman. But then when Hangman does come in, he does go, like, even more brutally after Hangman. There's this. You know, there's the elbows, there's a diving knee off the apron, but there's this shot Mm. of him, like, stomping Hangman's head into the ring post, and it's Mm. like he's oozing the blood out of Hangman's head. It's just absolutely gross, but so visceral. Yeah, no, I remember remember seeing that this time on the rewatch and thinking, because that wasn't an image that, like, stuck with me or struck me the first time I watched it, I think, because there was just so much going on. But then on the rewatch, I was like, how did I forget about this? Because this is such a good, like, image. Oh, um, gross. It's, yeah, and it just perfectly encapsulates uh, the character that, that Danielson is. He is the sick, sadistic, dickhead Danielson. Mm. <laughs> and, He's getting, um, like, so much joy out of doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it's like, he could, you know, sit there and use his kicks and do all of, all of his other moves that are so great. But he just wants to just, <laughs> mm. all it's doing really is, like, pressing his head and then uh exposing the blood as well but like yeah mm. you can literally see that blood coming further out of his head which then obviously gives us the great visuals of hangman mm. kind of later in the match as well once the hair the blood's kind of dried into his mm. hair and stuff um he's someone who bleeds really well hangman it just looks so good yep. um, especially the longer the match goes and mm. when it dries on his face and stuff I do love this part of the match as well. We'll move on to the, you know, Hangman coming back shortly. But uh, I, I love this part of the match for the contrast that it poses towards the end. You know, at this point, Danielson's just toying with Hangman and he's got all the time in the world. But, you know, later in the match, he will obviously regret these moments because mm. he's spent time here that he could have been using to actually put Hangman away. And, eventually time slips out of his control and he, he he's no longer got control of the match. Uh, and time is now his enemy, whereas at this point he's got all the time in the world to revel in what he's doing. 
Um, and, the, you know, when Hangman does finally come back, you know, he does fire up. He absolutely rocks Danielson. That power and that athleticism we to- we spoke about and, like, that drive is still there. And it's almost like Danielson underestimated how deep he would go with him. Like, hey, yeah. Danielson thinks he's a shark. He's going to pull him out to deep waters and drown him. But he doesn't realize that Hangman can swim even further out than he can. Uh, yeah. And, you know, when Hangman gets back on the offense, he's just on an absolute roll. And I just love watching him when he gets momentum behind him. Like, is there yeah. a better wrestler to watch when he's on a roll than Hangman Adam Page? Yeah, it's hard to think of one. Some people would probably argue for Brian Danielson, especially when he's a baby face. He's yeah, or Kenny Omega maybe. Yeah, and uh, he's another one who's so easy to root for when he is a baby face, uh, Brian Danielson. But Hangman, I think that's part of why I love him so much. He's so good on the sell, and he does it without like overselling and stuff. He just sells like exhaustion and you know certain uh, body parts and stuff very well. Whereas a lot of people will either go way too far with it or get these crazy facial expressions. And I'm like, I can see you're trying to act. Danielson, again, also does this really well. But like you can see what they're trying to do. Whereas Hangman, it does just feel completely natural and real. Yep. You can see Um, the exhaustion in his eyes. And, like, yeah. the hair's all frazzled and yeah. his big chest and shoulders are heaving. But then when he yeah. gets back on the on the front foot, like, everything's moving in sync. He's, yeah. you know, he's got a he's a, got a body. He's got, like, he's a big he's a big bloke, so he's got momentum yeah. behind him. So he hits hard, but everything's crisp and smooth. Yeah. No, I think, and like you said, with uh, dragging him into deep water as well, um, Danielson said, like, in, in the build-up, I'm going to drag you into deep water. It's somewhere you've never been before. You, you can't go long. I can go long, blah, blah, blah. All that kind of stuff. He was saying that before. So they were, like, building up and setting up this possibility, which I guess is why so many people did say, oh, maybe they'll go to a draw, you know. Um, but like you said, when Hangman gets back into it, my favourite part of, like, um, it's not it is a comeback but it it comes from an opportunity and i love those kind of things in wrestling where it's kind of just like by chance um so hangman ducks when uh danielson's going to kick him and then brian kicks the ring post and then hangman sees an opportunity then it's kind of like it's kind of like something that danielson himself would do he sees these opportunities and he strikes them and hangman just really goes after brian's uh leg and knee particularly which uh the commentary then uh say oh look you can see he's got the tape on that knee so it's a knee which was previously hurt um and that isn't maybe 100 percent anyway and then he's just kicked the ring post as well on top of that so and then hangman really goes in on it which i really liked and it gave you that uh contrast of obviously brian's worked on hangman's arm to stop the buckshot whereas they'd really built up uh brian's uh stomps um, and so now Hangman's working on Brian's right leg to stop those mm. stomps and also just the kicks. And you get a spot with that later where uh, Danielson's going for his kicks. They're not quite working as much. And then Hangman tries to respond with a lariat, but it doesn't quite work as much because they're both just mm. so beaten down. And that's yep. like, I think by, by that time, that's like a last 10 minute kind of thing before you get to the big sprint right at the end. Um, but I just really, really love that, like, because... Obviously, you know Danielson's going to try and pick his opponent apart uh, technically, but I really like the fact that Hangman actually, he kind of proved that something new and he kind of, not just in terms of 
going deep into a match, but in terms of also just going, right, I'm just going to really go after this body part. He showed mm-hmm. that he can have that side to him that Danielson does have. And that those are the things that he was saying is that I don't think you can do this. That's why you're a great wrestler, but I don't think you're, you know, on my level, basically. Mm. And those these little ways that Hangman found to show that he is on his level, I just really, really liked. Mm. I got that more on the rewatch. Um, the first time, I don't know, I, you're always going to appreciate the actual story of a match, I think, on a rewatch, because you know the ending. And so every time there's a beat, you go, oh, that's what they're doing. Ah, OK. Mm. And you see that that more. But yeah, rewatching it, I really, really got that from Hangman. And that's when I kind of, I did feel this before, but I really felt like this was such a great first performance for someone, not just who's mm. a new champion in terms of the champion, but is a new champion. It's the first time he's holding a major championship, a major singles championship anyway. So I really like that aspect to it mm. as well. Absolutely. This is, this is a match that is about time though. Uh, and mm. why I, I just love the theme of time in this match. Um, and I, I, every time I immediately thought of um, the lyrics to the song time by Pink Floyd after this <laughs> match, like, ticking away the moments that make up the dull day, fritter and waste your hours in an offhand way. And then it goes like on to you are young and life is long and there's time to kill today. That's like the early stages. Brian Danielson's just got all the time in the world. (laughs) Hank Mann's even got all the time in the world. Uh, And then one day you find 10 years have got behind you. No one told you when to run. You missed the starting gun Uh, and you run and you run to catch up. The sun is sinking racing around to come behind you again. It's like, oh, I love when it gets to 10 minutes to go because both men yeah. start to realise, wait, hold on. Yeah. <laughs> I've got to win this match. I've got to win this match now. And, yeah. like, they start to get desperate um, because, you know, I, that I mean, I'm a middle-aged man, so, so that song has started to become more and more terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> um but but for this match like suddenly they're starting to realizing that they've like missed they've missed the starting gun and they're running and running and, but the the time's ticking away and the sun's sinking um and you know like you get the desperation of hangman taking he goes for his third moonsault so his first moonsault works his second one he gets pushed off by danielson and even though he he, he got pushed off on the second one he goes for a third one because mm. he thinks that like he, he's just desperate at this point and hangman just absolutely crashes and burns through the timekeeper's table um yeah. off that so he like jumps off the he's jumping off the top turnbuckle and he crashes and burns through that um and then but for danielson's part like he pulls up the ring mats exposing the concrete um yeah. and he even pulls out a diving headbutt mm-hmm. uh and Excalibur says this line, he goes, as proud and as confident as Danielson is, it would behoove him to finish it, finish this match now. Um, yeah. Because, like, even he is realising, Danielson, in all of his confidence and arrogance, he's like, I've got to, like, I've got to get this done, otherwise I'm going to miss my chance. Yeah, no, exactly. And another spot um, that really encapsulates that as well is um, Danielson goes for... I think this is actually like very close to the end, isn't it? <clears throat> but Danielson goes for uh, a superplex um, and Hangman lands on his feet whilst Danielson kind of crashes and burns. And then those lariats that I was speaking about Hangman trying try to do earlier whilst Brian's going for kicks and neither of them have 
uh, the momentum or the strength or and their body parts are so beaten down that they're not able to connect properly. But Hangman uses the momentum off that superplex after landing on his feet, which uh, Brian fails to deliver in the end, mm. to then land a lariat. And then he's just so uh, <laughs> exhausted after that that mm. he can't quite take advantage of that. But then that's when you go into those like last 10 minutes. Both guys are throwing massive shots like um, Hangman hits. Uh, I think he hits another lariat and they're just like generally uh, going for the big but not necessarily their biggest shots and then as we get into kind of like the last five minutes uh danielson starts doing his stomps and stuff like that mm. uh, goes for the uh Bisako knee and then like uh hangman like does this great move where he catches him and then hits the dead eye and then hangman does the stomps mm. which is like payback from everything that uh obviously uh danielson had done <laughs> kicking out of cabana's teeth mm. and then doing it to other members of the dark order and commentary really lock in on that. And that's such a great sequence there. I love it mm. so much because it's these guys just <laughs> going for it desperately. They don't hit every big move necessarily. So those moves don't become pointless. And it's not just like move spamming. You've got nice little reversals in there. Um, but they're basically just two guys so desperate, just throwing mm. their biggest shots that they've got. Because like you said, it's about time and they realize time's running out. And it's one of those things like in terms of uh, when you try to peak a story, you want to kind of like build and build and build and then you want this like explosion in some way or regardless of what the the genre is um that explosion might come in different ways but in wrestling it comes new japan do it really really well in these great kind of ending sequences the last five minutes of a match where you know both guys can feel maybe the other guy's getting on top i've got to do something and then you just get this great what's the word <laughs> great uh it's it's sequence. like a yeah sequence of counters um in new japan yeah. particularly the okada yeah. matches and it just makes those those ending to the matches so exciting to watch mm. and but when you've built to it you've then also got all that story on top of it mm. and like you said you've got these body parts that maybe are more beaten down than you'd like them to be or whatever like i said okada does it brilliantly um mm. ge- generally in new japan they do it well Okada is probably the best because he's probably the best uh, wrestler in New Japan, especially in those big matches, at least anyway. But yeah, I just absolutely love that because it was like it perfectly went along with the story. And like you're saying, that story of time as well. Yeah. And they they still manage to look exhausted as well while they're doing this. Mm, I love just a small thing with Danielson, you know, at this point. Well, let me just say quickly. They probably are exhausted. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're not necessarily <laughs> looking at you. <laughs> but, yeah, go ahead. Um, well, I mean, it works for the story of the match. <laughs> exactly, yeah. I love with Danielson, like, it's just a small thing, but when he's getting Hangman in holds, he's desperate, so he's starting to, like, fish hook and, you know, yeah. get really dirty with his, you know, with what he's doing with his fingers and stuff. But then, of mm. course, Hangman, you know, finally manages to get out on, on the outside uh, and, and gets over, hits the buckshot lariat, but the 60-minute bell hits um, to signal the end of the match before he can ma- even make the cover. Um, yeah, it's just a, an electrifying final stretch. Um, and, you know, the commentators are going off. The crowd's, like, on their, the crowd's on their feet for, like, huh, the second half, whole second <laughs> half of this match. They're, yeah. they're going mental. Like, everything is coming together. Um, and the commentators are doing a really good job they're doing a good job notifying the audience of the the timing um, and what's yeah. going on. And then, of course, you he misses the cover. So, like, kind of the moral win for the for the cowboy, but mm. he didn't actually win. 
Danielson, you know, he'll be there to rue the the time that he wasted when he could have been when he was on top. If if nothing else, like the the thing that can speak for this match is it, it kept the audience the audience's attention for the whole hour. Like the crowd yeah. is engaged the whole time. They're riding the match the whole time. You know, it worked me <laughs> like yeah. the whole time. You know, there was points at this match in this match where I was like, is Danielson going to win? Um, the first time I watched it through, even though, you know, I would have bet large money that Hangman would not lose in his first defense. This guy, mm. like the story of the promotion to this point has been him becoming champion. But there was moments yeah. in this match where it got me and I was engaged the whole time, even on rewatch, um, which yeah. is, you know, for an hour long match that, that speaks very highly. Yeah, no, absolutely. I was like, before I, I watched it back, I was kind of like, because I had like a, a quite a busy day uh, before and I was only had like this kind of a small window. Well, I say small window. It's just over an hour where I was like, I need to watch it. And then I, I need to go and do something else. And I was just like, uh, I wasn't dreading it. But I was just like a whole hour. Is it going to stand up? I was really worried yeah, that it wouldn't. Yep. And then after, I felt like, the same way. I felt the same way. I was like, oh, yeah. man, I'm going to have to sit down. It's going to take an hour. Yeah, and it's going to be by the time I finish, it's going to be time to go to bed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And then but like as soon as Brian's music hit, then I was like, OK, OK, I got excited again. Uh, <laughs> and then as soon as the match like gets properly going, I was just I was just hooked then at that point. Mm. Um, like almost like I was watching it the first time, although obviously I was kind of trying to look out for things to try and pick up things to speak about mm. for this podcast and stuff. But like. I was hooked and I was like engaged as well. And it's like, there are some matches where like, so for pro, pro wrestling musings, I used to write like this column about like uh, uh, just the stories of, of a match and going over it. And there were some matches within that where I was like, okay, I'm going to write about this. One. I'm really excited to do it. I'll rewatch the match. And then I'm like, ah, this isn't, isn't as good as I thought it was. Mm. But this one, if, if anything, it, um, it increased my appreciation for the match, even though I'd already started to change my mind on my initial reaction to the result. Did you want to speak about the result yeah, of the draw? Let, let's talk about that because I, I love the fact this was a draw, but at the time mm. it wasn't as universally loved. And you yourself, mm. you you were, I wouldn't say scathing, but it came across mm. the when <laughs> I when I read your Twitter, it came across as you really disliked it. Um, the yeah. fact that it was a draw. So, so talk to me about that. Like, and you've said you've now changed your mind on that. Yeah. But, but just talk to me about that. So, I mean, basically, I just got worked. Is is <laughs> is 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 the reality of it. But like, uh, my my point and my rationale at the point at the time was they had this amazing match and then it ends in a draw. If you have Hangman make the cover, that's the perfect match. So, yeah, this is a great 4.75. But we had the perfect five-star match. I maybe even would have broken my own scale if he had just won. That's kind of what I was saying and my, and my my reasoning for it. And then kind of the more I thought about it, especially, I, well, by the time we had the second match, I had already changed my mind. But then the more and more I thought about it, because that was just my initial reaction. I was just like, as someone who just really wanted Hangman to win and mm. was very invested. I was just disappointed, basically. Yeah. Um, and yeah, there is probably an extent to which you can say if they have if they have Hangman win, maybe as a single match, you could argue that that's better. Some people would argue that it, it wouldn't make a difference. Some people would argue that maybe it's worse because like 
this is the story at hand ultimately um but what you've always got to remind yourself as a viewer is that your job as much as we like to look into things and uh, analyze things and stuff like that your job is ultimately to just watch the story that they're telling rather than be like oh this is what they should have done so even though sometimes there are valid cases where it's like okay they clearly shouldn't have done that and that's fine you know they sometimes they make mistakes or whatever but in this like eventually i just reminded myself that okay what's actually the story here okay they're clearly going to have a rematch and that's obviously where i think hangman was always going to win that and the way they handled that rematch was so great and it showed how hangman had grown and that's why i completely forgave it after that i'd already pretty much forgiven it but after they had that match i was like okay you nailed the perfect rematch of what i would have wanted um not in terms of the perfect match necessarily because neither of these were necessarily the perfect match but together they kind of made this great story of hangman Mm. kind of he's risen to the challenge of kenny omega and then he had to rise to the challenge of danielson a lot of people Mm. really wanted hangman's first defense to be mgf mgf to screw him and hangman gets screwed again and i think this draw was a really good way of kind of doing that hangman had the match won and he doesn't get screwed in a way that mgf cheating is screwing him Mm. but it's just like you were so close and you had you had the match won but you, it was just an issue of time, uh, like you, like you say. It's just it's he's just, still got a he's got still got a point to prove afterwards. Yeah, but he's also within the match. He's proven that he can rise to yeah. the level of Danielson. He can at worst match him, and really, mm. if that match had gone another ten seconds, he makes the cover and he gets the win, um, presumably. Anyway, um, that's the story they kind of leave you with, or mm. the the feeling you, they leave you with. Mm. Um, but yeah well i'll give you i'll give you my rationale for like because i immediately liked that this was a 60 minute draw that immediately was something that made me that got me excited um and and i think for a few reasons firstly i feel like at least to me the 60 minute draw is particularly a championship match is is something that is almost historic in its nature like it's not something that happens regularly and it's something that only the greats get to do like it's what I, I think 60 minute Broadway for the championship. And I immediately think flair steamboat. And that yeah. is like literally some of the greatest matches yeah. for any critic who worthy salt or his wrestling historian. Like they are some of the greatest matches that have ever been wrestled, particularly for their time. They were yeah. incredible. Uh, and, and, you know, like having a match that sort of gets in the pantheon of that immediately makes me happy happy particularly when it's two of my favorite wrestlers uh and you know i think you know punk and joe they had those 60 minute matches in roh danielson's had 60 minute matches before and this is hangman getting a chance to like really put his name up as one of the great working champions um by by pulling out this thing which is really difficult to do like a 60 minute match that keeps people engaged as you said like we knew that this match was good and both of us were like oh man really not looking forward well not looking forward but like oh man do i have to watch this match again yeah <laughs> I just watch the highlights clips or something you know because 60 minutes is a long time for a wrestling match but if yeah. you can do it well man that speaks so highly of your work and yeah. also i think the other reason if they had done this without first laying the groundwork as i said of like the cody and derby draw where they show that like yes we can have draws and then you know mm. upping the stakes again with omega and danielson like oh we'll do draws in like a really big setting and then it's like okay what's the biggest possible way that you can do a draw a 60 minute 
championship match. We'll do yeah. a draw for that. Like if they had, if they just pulled this out of nowhere and that those other things hadn't like led up to it and set the groundwork for like this is something yeah. we do in this promotion, it would have felt like it was possibly trying a bit too hard. And I think in that, if that was the case, I may not have liked it as much. But in mm. the broader context, and as I said, the historical context, I I love the fact that it was a draw for that reason. Yeah, no, that's like, and like you you are right as well. Like as I say. Eventually, I I stopped being so <laughs> worked up by it. Well, you and, feel like how Hangman feels, right? Like yeah, Hangman yeah, exactly. Just feel like... I think I think I had, <laughs> I think yeah. I had the correct response in terms of what an audience should be feeling. You should be feeling disappointment. Maybe I worded it because I worded it like, oh, they should have done this, and then it would have been the perfect match. But I should have been feeling the way I I felt at the time. Yeah. Like I feel like if you're happy with it immediately as you were there's nothing wrong with that of course but I think me being so disappointed is like that's the that's the kind of feeling Hangman wanted people to feel that's the kind of feeling AEW wanted people to feel because that shows that they've invested you um which which is good uh the problem is some people just they get their investment and then they go online and they just complain uh which I did Uh, but I did have, you know, I did change my mind and I did, you know, then yeah. praise it afterwards as well once I kind of calmed down. <laughs> but well, um, I, I wouldn't say ahead. you were wrong to feel the way you felt and you, you didn't, you know, you're on this podcast, you're someone who I talk to, talked about wrestling to a lot. I know you're not like doing it in bad faith. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it was a genuinely how you felt and, and that you weren't the only person that felt that way. It's sort of on the topic because I brought up the historical legacy. How do you think this compares to other 60-minute matches? You know, I mentioned Flair Steamboat, of course, the Iron Man match, Hart Michaels um, at WrestleMania, Omega Carter 2 that is a is a 60-minute draw that's you know yeah. quite well known and recently, and then one that I just I thought of randomly is the Iron Man match that John Cena and Randy Orton had. Of course, I mentioned before like some of the Punk Joe stuff. Um, yeah. yeah, there's there's lots of 60 minute matches out there. I think like Wheeler Yuta and Daniel Garcia had one earlier that year. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but no, uh, you know, well. where does where does this rank for you um, amongst those? Well, I haven't seen all of them, um, mm. but in terms of like, for example, what I was going to say was Omega Okada. I found that it was interesting they did it because obviously Danielson's name dropped Okada many many times. Um, and then Omega and Hangman obviously have their history. It was mm. very much like, you know, AEW kind of setting up. And obviously in the third match, which came after the draw in Hangman uh, Okada, sorry, Omega Okada, uh, in the third match, uh, Omega gets the win in under half an hour, which, of course, I can't remember exactly what the match time is for Danielson Hangman 2, but it's around half an hour. So there's potentially a third match which kind of then you know it sits similarly with uh what, what what they did um they could go you know maybe there's no time limit and then they do over an hour or something like that which would hmm. be just copying uh, but like i do like that there are those parallels with that there because obviously omega is such a big part of hangman's story and okada isn't a big part of danielson's story although omega had become just a couple of months before that hmm. as well but it was something which Danielson is up there. He's on the level of those, those guys that everyone recognises that. So this is kind of like the hangman. This is kind of like what Omega did in having that draw. Mm. And it was when I think someone said on Twitter, it's like, it's kind of just like that. Like, you, I mean, I didn't watch Omega Okada 
live at the time, uh, the second match. I didn't watch it live at the time. But I'd like to think that at the time I would have just been like, OK, there's there's a vision here. Um, maybe I wouldn't have been if I got too invested like I did with this one. Maybe I would have been just angry that Omega <laughs> didn't win. But um, I think maybe they handled it. They handled it in a different way where like, um, and I don't know, because I knew it was a draw when I went to watch that match. It's hard for me to comment on it uh, because I didn't watch it without knowing the result uh, to begin with. But yeah, it has a feeling of it's that kind of moment for Hangman. And mm. I think you do need these moments and these matches in your catalogue as a wrestler to kind of build that legacy. Mm. Um and it's not necessarily about winning or losing whatever uh, w- with wrestling. Obviously, with the story, that's a huge part of it. But it's about the things you prove along the way, the stories you tell. Um, they're the main things, which I think when you go 30 years into the future, when we look 30 years back, we think of, you know, those those matches that tell those stories. Mm. And those wrestlers who told those stories, I'm sure there's loads of great wrestlers who have been not forgotten, but they don't get spoken about as much. Because mm. whilst they may be won loads of matches uh, in, in their time and stuff, maybe they didn't have the, the, that connection. They didn't tell those stories. For example, Dusty Rhodes gets spoken about so much, but there's people who won more championships or maybe were considered mm. bigger stars who don't get spoken about as much from that era as well. Mm. Um, uh, but it's because he connected and he left a legacy, like I mm. said, that went beyond just I was the champion so many times or whatever. Mm. Yeah, I think... It's hard to rank. Yeah, I asked you. A, I kind of asked you an unfair question, to be honest. Yeah. It's not. As, <laughs> it's not. As good I find as... it hard to. I, I find it hard to rank them because this is. Yeah. Like I remember, I did watch that Cena Orton one that I mentioned live. Um, yeah. But but the other ones as well were matches that I came to knowing the result, not yeah. watching live. You know, in the moment. Um. So it is hard. Like it is hard to compare. But you know, this ranks up there with them, is what I'll say. And as yeah. I said, like. It's it's a legendary thing to to do this, uh, and I think for like Hangman's title run, like this shows, it showed his heart, his fighting spirit, like his ability to just go and go and go, the motor that he's got, um, you know, and just being able to show that he could hang with Danielson and nearly had him beat um, mm. in 60 minutes, like that's for his legacy historically. Um, I think this match is really important. You know, this is I, this is something that he can. The story with Omega, of course, is is huge, uh, and that's yeah. like the story of him for like three years. But then to follow it up with something like this is, you know, something you can really hang that cowboy hat on. Yeah, and it was something different as well. Like um, we've had all that Omega stuff, and it was like now he's the champion. What is this going to look like? And mm. it was we didn't just go into okay, he's going to win ten matches, which where the title's on the line. And then he'll lose it to someone, and that'll be that'll be it. Because there are title reigns which are kind of like that, um, and it's like it's just a collection of matches, and some of those mm. matches might be really good. But with Hangman, it's kind of like match to match. Every time he kind of comes on the screen, not necessarily there's a massive difference or whatever, but it's always leading on from what happened before. So obviously then mm. we got we had this we had the second match where Hangman then goes and proves no. I am mm. better than you. And he goes and win, wins that in much more mm-hmm. convincing fashion. And then he gets someone like Lance Archer, where it's like a totally different <laughs> proposition. Mm. Danielson's smaller than him, uh, more technical. Archer's bigger than him. He's a monster. Um, and the way in which they approach that as well, um, I'm sure you'll probably end up speaking mm. about that match at some point. 
because it was a fantastic one on the podcast. So we won't go into it. And we've also, yeah. uh, speaking about time, we haven't, you know, we've been going for quite a while. But um, <laughs> it's a completely different thing. And then he gets uh, uh, Adam Cole, which is like, you know, there's a completely, it's more of a story between two guys where, you know, two Adams. used to be friends. <laughs> yeah, two Adams used to be friends and stuff like that. So all these different challenges that he had to face, mm. um, which are which I really, really liked. And this kind of just set the tone for that. It was like, OK, yep. it is something new, but it is still a continuation of the story of Hangman, which yeah. I really, really liked about it. But like and you I, said, it's vital for his legacy, I think. And I think it set the tone for his title run that like when he has a championship match, it's going to be box office stuff. Like yeah. his, his matches are going to be something that you pay attention to, um, yeah. you know. I almost liken it to, you know, the he, he didn't get to go as long. Um, and, you know, we'll get to the point where we talk about Hangman versus Punk uh, at some <laughs> point. That'll break my heart a little bit. Um, yeah. Uh, but I, he was on, like, the kind of run that, like, Kazichka Okada had um, when he had those matches with Kenny Omega. and But, like, that yeah. was another reign where, like, you had he had to go up against someone who was athletic like Kenny Omega and, you know, mm. a giant like Bad Luck Fale or a technical yeah. wizard like Zack Sabre Jr. or, you yeah. know, just another dynamic star like Tetsuya Naito or, you yeah. know, his eternal his eternal nemesis, Hiroshi Tanahashi, um, you know, and, yeah. and like all these different styles of matches, but every single match means so much uh, and has so much effort put into it and thought put into it. And every match is box office, you know, even Okada versus Bad Luck Fale, you know, oh. It's, you know, it's something that you want to sit down and watch and savor and you pay attention to and you can dig into. And that's what this match set the tone for with Hangman's title reign. Um, and as you said, like the other matches as well that he would go on to have. We are running out of time quickly um, <laughs> ourselves. Um, we have been doing too many star jumps and it's time to call it a wrap, I think. Um I've, I really enjoyed talking about this match, though, Gareth. I'm so glad that you came around on this match um, because I I adore it. Uh, I adored the rewatch, and I'm glad you did too. Um, yeah. But where where can the good people find you on social media if they want to talk to you about this match or anything in wrestling? Um, so you can find me at Gareth underscore EW on Twitter, or you can also follow me at Eno Wrestling. I will get back to actually doing stuff on there at some point. It's just uh, finding the time. But I will. I will. It will happen. Um, but, yeah, I guess for now, just follow me on at Gareth at underscore EW on Twitter. Yeah. And, and I do thank you for coming on today. It's been a pleasure. And it's been a pleasure to have you, my dear listener friends, on uh, as Gareth sort of dropped there next week. We're having a double dose of Daniel Hangman Danielson. Um, I'll be talking to Craig Williamson about Hangman Page versus Brian Danielson, number two, uh, and we'll be digging into the second match that these two had. So make sure you don't miss that. Make sure you come back and hit subscribe, hit uh, follow or whatever your podcast app says. If you've enjoyed what you listened to today, please do rate and review. That just helps us show up um, when other people are looking for podcasts. And why not tell a friend? Um, tell someone about our podcast. I think this is a really great podcast to listen to. Uh, I think it's something unique that not many other people are doing. Uh, so why not tell someone if you've enjoyed what you've listened to today? Uh, and 
if you want to, if you want to talk to me about AEW matches, I would love to hear from you. You can find me on Twitter, Sir underscore Samuel, or you can even email me if you're a bit old old school and don't have Twitter, um, sambrownmedia at gmail.com. But as I said, I will be back next week where we'll be talking about Brian Danielson versus Hangman Page for the AW Championship number two. Uh, and I cannot wait to get stuck into that as well. But until then, I will catch you guys later. Thank you for listening. Thank you, Gareth, for coming along today. And I will see you all again next Thanks for listening to the AEW Match Guide podcast. If you enjoyed the show, then you can subscribe on the podcast app of your choice so you never miss an episode. Also, feel free to let me know on Twitter at Sir underscore Samuel. I'd love to hear from you. The AEW Match Guide podcast is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network, where you can find many other fantastic podcasts discussing not just AEW, but all parts of the world of professional wrestling. Looking forward to seeing you again next week. I'm Sam Brown.